Hi everybody, welcome back to the Ark and Co podcast. After a forced break that we've all had to endure due to the pandemic, we're happy to be back in the office, albeit socially distanced, and we're very happy uh, to bring back the podcast uh, to you. So the first episode back after the enforced lockdown uh, is with Andrew as he chats with Christian Faze from Lend Invest. We hope you're staying safe and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Ark & Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in the Structured Finance team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson. I'm CEO of Ark & Co. The team here at Ark & Co thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, We'd like to understand where the industry is going in education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. Well, I'm joined here today by Christian Faze, uh, co-founder and executive chairman of LendInvest. Uh, so, Christian, welcome to the Ark & Co podcast. Thank you, Andy. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Finally got invited on. <laughs> yeah, finally. Well, <laughs> good things come to those who wait, I guess. Yeah. Um, Christian, you started as a two-man band and built a company that now employs over 200 people. You've got a loan book exceeding £1.5 billion and have annual revenues of over £100 million. So, first of all, congratulations. Uh, well done. And secondly, how did it all happen? Wow. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it often looks and sounds bigger and better than maybe what what it is. But how did it all happen? I mean, I guess uh, the journey for me is, you know, I'm, I'm an Aussie, I come from Australia, was was originally a lawyer, an Australian real estate lawyer there and um, got familiar with the mortgage business through that. So I used to act as a lawyer for a bunch of um, mortgage lenders and I could see that the brokers and, and the lenders earned a lot more than the, the lawyers. So it's kind of like, I want to be on that side of the table. <laughs> Um, got familiar with it and then moved, moved to the UK. I'd sort of been a lawyer here. I jumped around. So I was a lawyer here in the UK as well, went back to Australia, but came back in, in 2008, kind of um, didn't realise what was fully unfolding, I guess, in terms of the financial crisis. Uh, but yeah, landed here mid-2008 and, and just went about building the business. Um, How yeah. did, in 2008, so it's yourself and a partner, Ian. Yeah. So you didn't work together before. No. What, what was the partnership there? How did you find each other and why did you go? Because it wasn't Lend Invest, it was Montello. That's right. So what was the idea? I think you worked for Deutsche Bank, didn't you, an uh, in-house lawyer. Yeah. And then so no real experience in the lending side. Ian was in the property side. Yeah. Uh, so two heads came in and uh, decided to set up Montello. Yes. Yeah. What, what was the idea? <laughs> well, no real experience with anything, really. Um, That's a good thing sometimes. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is. I mean, I guess it was, it was just total naivety on our part, like kind of um, saw there was a lot of disruption going on in the market, I guess, you know, um, it, it, there weren't many bridging lenders actively lending at the time. So I kind of thought there was a, a market there or a market opening. Um, on the investor side, I guess interest rates were at all-time lows and kind of people were prepared to maybe go up the perceived risk curve to try and find something to get a return on their money. Um, so kind of the initial idea was kind of matching those two. And I remember sitting down with Ian uh, with this like pathetic spreadsheet and sort of pitching to him as like this idea. And I think we sort of like, 
targeting to lend like a million pounds a month. And we thought, wow, if we could do that, this would be a really cool business. <laughs> looks um, good on paper. <clears throat> yeah, it looks good on paper. And I think uh, we learned very quickly that we didn't have any investors and we didn't really know any investors. And we didn't actually, have the money. <laughs> we didn't have the money and we didn't have the borrowers. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of like as scrappy as you could imagine. You know, as a, as a windowless office, we got at Regis, which I think maybe even you visited back yeah, in the we day. we all start with yeah. Regis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, pretty depressing sort of environment. But, you know, just calling... Uh, and stumbling across good people like yourself that had borrowers and then sort of scrambling in the background to try and find money. Well, we both started at the same time, I believe. Um, I started Ark & Co beginning of 08 and I think quickly we did our first deal together. We did, yeah. So, Not quickly enough, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it got there in the end. <laughs> that was a pretty, uh, I mean, I think, you know, one day if, uh, if either of us ever get to sit down and be bothered to write a book on our background and our history, uh, that that deal would uh, would definitely factor into, I mean, just kind of, we can't even really talk about it, can we? Uh, no, not in depth. But look, <laughs> it was a five million pound bridge in two thousand and eight to, uh, to a known Russian. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, that's who was buying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was an interesting deal, I think. It was, um, you know, for Ark and Co, a five million pound loan at that time. You know, gives commission and impetus into a business, and it's pretty crucial uh, deal to get us started, and uh, probably similar. Uh, yeah, if I'm not saying yeah. uh, uh, for for Montello to get you going on the on a cash flow basis. I think it was a great deal. Yeah, I think what was it? Two thousand and nine was it? Or I think it was end of oh eight oh nine. Long well, time yeah, ago yeah. now, but we t- we still talk about it. No, more, I know. But more, I, you're right. I mean, the commission from that transaction was enough for us to like cash flow the business for the next year. So it's kind of. Um, well, it wasn't that big. <laughs> we were pretty lean we only in those days. small yeah. fees. Yeah. Let's note that for the FCA. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we certainly celebrated in the right style. And I think we both paid the same <laughs> bill right. in the restaurant. So the restaurant was very happy. But uh, yeah. I remember that. I, I called Andy uh, about a week later and sort of thanked him for uh, for the drinks. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? You paid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think we both paid. Yeah. No, well, look, every, every deal should be or good deal should be celebrated in the right way that's right um so moving on then you you know you've um you kind of grew montello how what was um because there's a bit of a gap from montello starting in 08 time to lend invest starting in 2013 so what was through that five years what were the key things you wanted to or you did achieve which uh put you in good stead i mean i guess for us um i think in, in the early days there were lots of borrowers looking for money and i guess for us as a as a you know, a lender hanging up our shingle as, as a lender, it was always difficult to get enough lending capital. So the early days of Montello were just sort of trying to evolve. So, you know, that first transaction we did, you know, there was actually a lender behind us, you know, it wasn't really <laughs> our money and kind of like, so you sort of start that way, you build a bit of a track record. And then we got some investors that would give us money. Uh, we set up a fund um, in 2010, which again, we didn't have any experience in, but um, you could pay IFA's commissions to, to invest in your fund then. It's kind of a different environment. So we got going through that. Um, and I guess we're always looking for, for ways to raise capital. Like I said, we did get small bank funding line, but um, the, the sort of trend towards becoming a, a fintech, I guess, in some respects was kind of um, looking at what was going on in the market at that time. We were always interested in technology and sort of thinking about how we could use it. And then we saw some of the peer-to-peer platforms and it was just blowing our mind away. I mean, still remember when we first heard about Funding Circle as kind of like this website where investors were investing money and it was kind of like, well, hang on, like we're trouncing around the country 
begging IFAs for very small checks and paying commissions and wearing out the shoe leather. And it's kind of like, and these guys have got a website, you know, let's, let's, let's build a website too. Um, you know, it's kind of really flippant um, view of it. But websites had been around a while. Websites <laughs> <laughs> so been around a while, yeah. But I guess the regulatory environment, you know, the government supporting the sector and all the rest of it. So I think it was just kind of a natural evolution for us to try and build this front end to, to, to raise capital. You know, fast forward to now, that sort of the the focus on technology is very different, um, and it's let you know the peer to peer thing. I think has largely come and gone. It's kind of a fad that has passed in some respects. Yeah. So coming coming back on that word fintech, so um, I see LendInvest as a lender. Yeah. Yeah. But and you're you're classing yourself as fintech business, yes. and is a fintech description because of where you raise capital. Um. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, the flippant answer is fintechs are more valuable than than lenders. <laughs> <laughs> it's all perception uh, but, and brand. Yeah, but but, <laughs> but 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 I think you know deeper than that. Actually, you know, and, and kind of at that Montello stage, Ian and I was sort of looking at bridging businesses. And I think if you build a small to medium sized bridging business, it can be a good business. You know, you can make a decent return. Um, and and it's I think it's a it's a great business, but they don't really sell for much. So I think the perception from an outside investor is that those businesses maybe don't have a huge amount of value. Um, and so then when we started to look at some of the fintech businesses, it's kind of like why are they valuable? It's kind of like the technology they've built. Um, and so for us, it was kind of well, let's build some technology as part of our business. And then you know, and like fast forward to now, like a third of our headcount are engineers. You know, we've got product and engineer guys working, you know, really hard to sort of transform the business. It's 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 less visible because a lot of it is kind of like the internal efficiencies of the business and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I think our commitment to building technology is, is real and we've definitely put our, our money where our mouth is and, and, you know, invested a lot in that. So with fintech, just I'm interested with it. It's a different perception. You know, um, when you look at and speak to other lenders, uh, they go out to um, – Corporate advisory firms raise a credit line uh, and lend it out mm. uh, different, from different products. Um, you, you may have that. Do you have that as well? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. so we've got institutional funding lines. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as a fintech side, so looking at what type of lender you are, why why would you say a fintech is valued higher than um, a normal lender? What's the because it's, it's tech. You're raising money there. What's the um, you know, where's the where's the value? Is it the brand? Is it the technology? I think is it's it the technology. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely real. You know, um, <clears throat> it's sort of like I say, you know, seventy uh, odd engineers in our business uh, are building very interesting tools, and and they allow us to um, you know assess credit in a in an interesting way, not black box sort of magic stuff, but like just like allowing experienced underwriters to make a quicker decision, um, you know, to be able to do that with less people. You know, we've got 200 people in the business, you know, but, you know, we're lending over a billion a year and a lot of other lenders doing that sort of volume have, you know, considerably larger headcounts. So I think, you know, some of that is the, the technology. And we're in the early days, but I think it hasn't really paid off in the sense, you know, I think in five, 10 years, we'll be doing huge volumes with not necessarily a huge exponential growth in the headcount. So I think it's something that pays off in time. But, but having said that, I mean, look, some people think fintech is kind of this um, halcyon sort of like, you know, the place you want to be. But often when we're going to talk to those banks, you know, like the big banks to get institutional credit lines, we spend a lot of the time telling them that, you know, we're a lender, not a yeah. fintech, you know, because yeah. like, there's a sort of perception around fintech being largely sort of 
where you know, <laughs> and and I think there's definitely you know people that have, have played off the hype, but I think for us we're we're genuinely building something that's that's interesting. Okay. No, it makes sense, uh, and you know, thanks for explaining. Let's come back to that because I reckon there's a real story there about how you're going to go forward, and I also think it's about where the market's going forward. So let's come back. Let's go back in back in time a bit. Um, you know, Montello's been built built up. Um, you've launched Lend Invest in 2013. What was the strategy? You know, why did you want to swap from? Montello, which is five years. Five years in the business is a long time. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, right, now we're lending best. You know, what was the reason? Um, well, again, it was just kind of, it was that commitment to, we're, we're going to invest in technology. We're going to transform this business to being, and we think of ourselves internally now as a technology business. You know, we use agile methodologies and the way we have morning stand-ups and kind of like all these rituals and stuff that I can see you laughing. It's a different way of operating. And I think, um, I think it's not to say one way is better or the other, but I think, you know, I think it works for us. Um, and so back then, you know, Montello was kind of like, well, what does that mean? It was literally a name that we found that we could get the, you know, the .co.uk for or whatever. Now, Lend Invest kind of was a more apt description of what we do and trying to sort of build a more mainstream brand, I guess. And what was, so um, when you launched Lend Invest, did your credit lines funding change overnight? What was there? So did you walk into um, uh, an institution and say, look, we want to raise 100 million for this yeah. uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and what was that like really because wow. going to ask someone for 100 million is not an easy task no um, I mean we, we got our first bank funding line we, probably from a bank you know a small eastern European bank gave us 2 million pounds it was a 2 million pound line of credit and Ian and I had to personally guarantee it <laughs> I um, wouldn't fancy that <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, and we had to go to their office uh, which I would say where um, you know and, but, but you know and they were a good partner for us institutionalized the business a little bit. Then we got a UK challenger bank, give us a 40 million pound line of credit. Um, they embedded a lot of their credit people in our business for a period of time, which again, you start to sort of, you think you know everything, but then when you get people who know what they're doing and <laughs> come into yeah. the business, you kind of realize what you don't know. Um, and we hired some good people. And I guess just over through a process, we've institutionalized the business. Um, the interesting thing from going from Montello to Lend Invest. Uh, we'd spent seven years building that business, bootstrapping it, like not a bit of external capital. When you become a fintech, you know, the you inbound from yeah, venture capitalists and everyone sort of thinking, oh, this is, you know, is this the next big thing or whatever? A huge amount of interest, which is, you know, looking back on it, it's hugely exciting. And, you know, we did raise venture capital and, you know, we've got a great partnership there. We've raised a lot of external, you know, we've got like the European Investment Fund as an investor in our business, um, you know. Uh, what was that like? You know, when um, you know you got Lend Invest, it's you've got you know a couple of million from the Eastern Europeans paid back, thank God, uh, yes. and and then you're into the forty million challenger bank yeah. uh, uh, territory. One, what was it like raising it, and did you have advice around that and how to raise it and what to do? Yeah, because you didn't just rock up at their bank. No. Uh, and secondly, what did it feel like walking out the door thinking we've got the green light? Let's get forty million out the door. It felt pretty good actually. <laughs> I, I do actually remember it bizarrely from, from personal perspective. I haven't sort of explained this. It was it was a, about a week before my thirty fifth birthday that we got the forty million pound line of credit. I think I could vaguely make out. You know, we managed like a hundred million quid. Um, which having landed back here when I was kind of 
uh, 30 in the UK, sort of five years later to be doing that, I kind of felt that was a real personal It's a big responsibility. Yeah, it was yeah. a big responsibility, yeah. And, and I, you know, we definitely drum that into our staff. This is other people's money at the end of the day that we're dealing with. So, you know, it's definitely not us having 100 million. It's, it's 100 million of other people's money um, that, you know, it's a serious business. So I think some of that, what you're saying is true and is like the business changes. It goes from, you know, a few guys sitting in an office, you know, cold calling randomly investors trying to get capital to actually having sort of a bit of responsibility and actually bringing pretty serious people into the business. And yeah, we had advisors help us get it, get that funding line, which I think, I think is important. You know, again, you kind of, you, you don't know what you don't know and have, having advisors that are experienced with that stuff around the table really helps. So yeah, it was kind of a, and how do you how did you manage that change? Because it's not easy to go. You you've personally got to change your mindset. Yeah, you, know, you can't run a business of uh, a private business. Do as you want. Yeah, you're responsible for yeah. forty million and someone else's capital. Yeah, so you you've got to physically change. You know yeah. how, how did you really change that in your own mind? Because we can all write papers and distribute around our businesses. Yeah, but if we don't change our own mindset. Uh, you know, it's never going to happen. It's tough. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, so, I think it is hard. It's kind of like, it's just a period of growth you go through. And if I look at the two extremes, when we started, it was Ian and I, nothing to, you know, when I've recently handed over, um, taken on the exec chair role, 12 years later, 250 people, external investors from different parts of the world, huge amount of capital um, and sort of responsibility. And I think it's kind of, as an entrepreneur, as, as I know you are, you kind of get frustrated as time goes on a little bit because like when it's two of you sitting around, if I wanted to change the color of the website or change the name of the company or whatever, you just, like, you know, you could do it and click your fingers. Yeah. I mean, now if I want to change the color of our website, I mean, you know, we've got committees and marketing teams <laughs> and consultants and board approvals. <laughs> like who knows whatever else we've got to go through. I mean, it's kind of, but at the same time, it just, it's more of an institutional grade business and it's kind of, you just learn to adapt because I think, you know, you want to build the business and make it bigger. So I guess as an individual, you just realize that's the that's the constraints you have to deal with. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so going to 2016, you've hit a massive milestone, 500 million of lending. Uh, so yeah, it's a great achievement from anyone uh, yeah. uh, to get that amount out. And then quickly, I guess, the business started to evolve again. So if you're talking about stages you went, yeah. that milestone must have been uh, at the next trigger. Yeah. So yeah, so I think around about that time we moved into buy-to-let, which is again where the business went from, you know, short-term mortgages, they're scrappy, they're not really, there's no two loans are the same. It's kind of, it's a, it's a quirky asset class and I think we were very good at that. We sort of had ambitions to get into buy-to-let, which is like an infinitely deeper market and um, actually, as we're learning, a very competitive market and um, <laughs> a tough market, but, it, but it's a big market. And, longer-term income as well. Yeah, it's longer-term income. Yeah. yeah, so it's slimmer margin, but longer-term income. And if you can use technology and do it in a really efficient way, it can have a big payoff. Well, it probably goes back to what you previously said is, you know, if you're turning money every six, eight, nine months in bridging, it's more labor-intensive. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got to chase your tail, right? I mean, yeah. every year I used to think in the, in the early days, you sort of you do like fifty million or do hundred million, or whatever. You come in at the start of the year, it's like, right, we're going to do that all again, just to sort of like keep the money working. Uh, which is, yeah, bridging businesses. Bridging businesses are tough, and I mean, you know, there's it, that's a very competitive space now as well, and there's been a lot of entrants come into that over the last few years, but. Do you think that's a question there? It's very competitive, and I'm still blown away about 
you know, how many lenders are out there, especially in the bridging market. Um, what do you think is the biggest competitive advantage other than price in the bridging? I think it's, um, you know, it is speed and execution. I think it is um, staying true to your word in terms of if you're committing to complete on a transaction, you're going to do it, not change terms at the last moment, not sort of have, um, you know, unforeseen exit fees or sort of things that kind of are surprising to a borrower um, or, or a broker. So I think a lot of that is the same. The, the challenge is everyone says that. You know, so it's kind of um, it's doing, yeah, it's doing it, and yeah. it's it's walking the talk that's tough. But when you're trying to win business, you go into a brokerage or you know pitching to a borrower. It's kind of like, yeah, we're fast and we're transparent, we're really quick. It's like they've had that same pitch from everyone. So I think it's um, it's quite an opaque market actually because you've probably got everyone saying that they're different because they do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say you know from my perspective, uh, from a brokerage looking into. Lend Invest, we come across you guys quite a lot. Uh, and it's always hard to beat when you've got existing clients, which is a very positive thing for your side. Yeah. Well, it's not too That's good for good. my business. <laughs> but it, it's it, it's because you're delivering what you say you are and you're retaining those clients. Yeah, and that's and key, you know. It's trust in, the, in yeah. the brand and people. I think in bridging is it's doing what you say you're going to do on time, yeah. every time. So the trust, bridge is about execution. Can I trust Lend Investor execute this deal? Will I pay ten bips more? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is less price sensitive yeah. than what people think. Although it is, you know, if I look at the rates now compared to you know back in the day when we were doing our early deals, I mean, it's crazy <laughs> how cheap bridging is now. Um, it's but, become yeah. more. It's it's become more institutionally funded. Yeah. Uh, which is Definitely. basically where it, where where, it, where where the margins compressed on it. Yeah, uh, but uh, I would say what it comes down to on a brokerage side is not just competing on rate; it's knowing your uh, uh, finer criteria and on, on, yeah, how, on how to how to do it. So I would say when when I train my uh, train my team, it's just look, okay, lender vest, great loyalty, whatever. How can we beat them? What's better? What's better for the client? Don't, just join us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. no, we're not being true to our clients. No, but it is great, and it, well, you know, word. Uh, I know you've got some good clients, some very loyal clients. So, yeah, congratulations. There. Um, 2016 also a massive year because you attracted um, 17 million uh, of liquidity, or someone bought a 17 million pound stake in your business, uh, and it wasn't just someone. Um, uh, unknown as Skype founder Nicholas De Zenstrom. Yes. So yeah. to attract someone who's well known in technology, probably one of the biggest brands, Skype, uh, uh, to invest in your company, you must be doing the right thing. But first of all, why? You know, why did it? You know, why did he want to invest in in Lendinvest? <laughs> Well, so it was his firm, Atomico, which is he's built into one of the largest sort of VCs now in Europe. Um, I guess what did he see from a venture capitalist perspective? The UK mortgage market is a huge market. It's 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 a pretty backward market still. You know, certainly, I think it's 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 evolving pretty quickly. But even like four or five years ago, you know, when I went for my mortgage, you go into the bank and they print out a form and like you know ask you where do you live and it's like you bank with them. So just like the ridiculousness of of the whole industry. And I think, you know, Atomico are pretty aware of that um, and could see the ambition for us. I mean, we we still say it now. I know people laugh. We want to be the biggest mortgage lender in the country. Um, we're only just getting started really in some respects. So 
I think, you know, they, they want to back ambitious founders and businesses that are trying to transform industries. So I think, you know, it's a great bet for them from their perspective. That's great for you as well. But also, <laughs> it's, no, it's not good. just, not just I, about I mean, the name, but I would say going back and, you know, let, let's, let's put it into perspective. Yourself and Ian started for nothing. You know, you didn't yeah. buy a company, you didn't no. whatever. And suddenly one of uh, the biggest names through his company, whatever, but be, um, you know, is investing 17 million in what you've created. Yeah. You know, no, it's so, great. And, it, you know, it's more than just the money. I mean, I know it's probably easy to say that having received the investment, but, um, you know, he has a team around him at Atomico that are very good at this stuff, you know, in growing businesses, scaling businesses, you know, ex-heads at Facebook and all the rest of it. And, they, they you know, they come and they don't, they don't sort of, I think they came into the stage in our business where they weren't sort of like, helping us get going they're kind of just helping us drive scale um and you know even talking sort of half a billion a year or whatever it was when they invested we're doing over a billion now so like it's kind of it gets momentum of its own and having their help and their endorsement was you know is, is big was it kind of a dragon's den scenario <laughs> because you've got to see uh one the money is you know it's a large amount of money yeah uh, but also there must be a reason why you want him you know, in there or his company. And I think what you just explained is that ex-heads of Facebook or wherever they are, is that adding value? Definitely. Into, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually at the time we were running a process. So we had an investment bank that was kind of, you know, there, there, were, there were multiple bids at the time, which was kind of like, you know, it's, it's surreal again going back to sort of um, six, seven years before that sort of just scrapping to get going. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, hugely gratifying. It's it's a good part of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and 2017, moving on there, uh, an LSE listing um, for a retail bond. Yeah. What was the? Why did you want to move that way? Um, so again, it's just part of like always trying to raise capital. You know, like raising a fund, trying to find investors, going to Eastern Europe, like wherever wherever we thought we could find money. Um, I guess um, we saw the London Stock Exchange as an interesting way to raise capital. So we listed a bond program on on the LSE. It was great. I mean, it was it was a it's a very difficult process actually, like doing the whole prospectus. Probably expensive. And, yeah, hugely expensive <laughs> and kind of time consuming and all the rest of it. But you know, we raised. I think we've got like hundred and twenty or something million in that program, and we can raise more money through it. Um, we got to like do the opening ceremony for the London Stock Exchange and well, ring the I opening did, bell. I, I, I did see that. So and I was cool. thinking, hang on. I saw on the news you waving on the uh, uh, yeah. on the balcony. And I was they got like the Lend Invest thing out there. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean. <laughs> We weren't listing the company, but kind of like it was, uh, it was a fun like moment. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, exactly. you probably walked out there on your tiptoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. No, that was fun. That was a good career highlight. Yeah, they're no, excellent. Um, good stuff. Okay, moving on to like I think what we spoke about the the moving the way the industry is moving. We we spoke about it before fintech technology. Now, how, and you said you want to develop into the market leader or the largest lender in the UK, two different, obviously, quotes uh, I've done there. Um, but how do you see that technology um, really adding into that growth? And do you think other people are going to cotton on to this? And uh, there's many questions I'm coming out here, but again, I always see the UK and Europe as way behind the likes of Australia, where mm, you're from. It is, yeah. Within the mortgage tech market, yeah. et cetera, and how we're learning. Do you see all these technologies coming into the UK market and are we going in 10 years' time, are we going to be uh, completely different uh, from where we are now? I think so, definitely. Um, it's, it's more of an evolution than a revolution. And I think that there's, you know, I shouldn't say it, but I don't think there's going to be a winner takes all, 
you know, if, if there is, it'll be us. But, uh, <laughs> well, but, the, of course. But, but the reality is, you know, there's going to be lots of mortgage lenders. And I think even the big banks are not asleep at the wheel. You know, they're investing heavily. They've got more engineers than us, that's for sure. Um, and actually bigger books and actually arguably a lot more data. So, you know, kind of everyone is fighting for this. And like you say, in markets like Australia, it's quite interesting, small market. You can you can go and take a photo of a property and it will, you know, give you the Zoopla results and sort of qualify you for a mortgage. Um with, with some lenders, which is just crazy um, compared to the experience here in the UK. So, yeah, we're working on being able to provide a, a significantly different experience and, um, you know, arguably one where you don't have to sort of, it's, it's you know, clearly no paperwork, but you don't have to ask a borrower a huge amount, you know, through the access to data and open banking and all that sort of stuff. You can make smart, very quick decisions that are, that are well-informed and not kind of like, tick box um, well, sort of it's using technology in the right way and you know I'm certainly not head of tech in my, in my company or, <laughs> or the market imagine. leader of tech yeah I've still I've still got a desktop and a pen and paper which <laughs> and a good old phone uh, but I see the huge benefits of it and you know just going uh, if, we're, if we're looking into my business you know being able to uh, do like smart searches on, on credit or more importantly, passports, uh, uh, the KYC yeah. for the clients, uh, to stop that you know, any potential fraud coming in there and, yeah. and making sure that it quickens things up, first of all. But just a personal experience, and this was probably 18 months ago, uh, but I opened the Monzo account, oh, and right. I could not believe uh, how quick it was. And I, I took a photo of myself, which I wasn't proud of. <laughs> a couple of chins on there, <laughs> yeah. but it recognized me. <laughs> yeah, that's you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was me present. And then the, the, the passport photo, 10 years ago but I, I just thought it was incredible yeah uh, and uh, you know this tech has been in the world for a long time yeah but we're just not using it no uh, I mean like we do though so when we qualify a borrower we use the same sort of take a selfie photo of your passport if you think about it, it's just it's a far better it's lower credit risk than actually getting a photo. We used to get a photocopy certified by a lawyer and faxed yeah. across. I mean, yeah. how would I know with the font is different or the, you know, the sort of the artificial intelligence that those systems use is far more sophisticated. So I think you're right. You see it in some of these, you know, neobanks and other sort of fintechs, but it, it, it'll come to mortgages in a, in a more mainstream way. And I think the experience will change dramatically. And I guess for brokers, you know, for you guys, it's kind of, it's thinking through that and trying to sort of continue to add value to the customers and yeah, it's, it's navigating a, through it. The mortgage world is a volume market, which isn't predominantly what Arkinco is about. Yeah. But, um, uh, I can see you need the speed because since I, I started 20 years ago and going back to faxes, you used to fax the uh, application form over to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> there was a queue to use the fax machine in the office. <laughs> so it was great times. But, you know, things actually used to happen quicker near enough, but there was no real paperwork other than the application form. Right. Now with the compliance and uh, the FCA, yeah. which is a great thing, it's a must. Uh, but we got to, you know, there's duplication of things. There's mm. uh, the speed of uh, uh, of getting the information. Uh, and like I said, if, if when people don't grasp it uh, and change it, you know, it is expensive initially, but I think it will get cheaper. Yeah. Integrated systems are, are coming around. Banks are, are integrating with platforms. Yes. Uh, from, you know, in a mortgage meeting, you have to do, you know, uh, fact finds, et cetera. Yeah. And quite simply, those fact finds flowing toward, through to the lender's uh, application form and making it streamlined process. It's all there. Yeah. It, it's just, it's coming into the brokerage market, but at a cost. Uh, right. Uh, and uh, so I, I see it. Yeah, you've got to make it pay off, right? Yeah. And I, I 
you know, for I wouldn't say Arkenco is not going to go that way because we do have a mortgage team, uh, but we wouldn't be in Mayfair. We would have a bigger team. We'd have more volume, uh, and you know, d- another one of your products like uh, product lines is a specialist finance market. You know, development, yeah, refurb, yeah, and and uh, it's more specialist. You add more value. More bespoke. Yeah, it's yeah. more bespoke, and, and the margins are, are, are better really yeah. uh, for a less volume business. Yeah. So um, as Arkenco is, we won't have that. That volume but I can see it hugely not just in the mortgage market even in the specialist finance market you know the passport checks yeah. and since COVID has uh, you know um, changed a lot of stuff we actually got one request from a lender uh, to, from a developer <laughs> to certify you know <laughs> certify his passport but this developer was of Russian descent or is of Russian descent <laughs> and uh, trying to and he's, he's not young he, he's in his 50s maybe early 60s and trying to get him to persuade him to take a picture oh, of himself oh right, right okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be used by some system yeah, yeah to be used by some system so some people there yeah. is an element of change and uh, I think um, it's been widely publicised and spoken about but the last six months of lockdown have really kicked a lot of that on because people have had to do it yeah uh, and I think the technology that's there now is there to be used and grasped. And yeah. I think the, our whole market can jump on five years, if yeah. not more. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think there is a limit to it, which is kind of what you're alluding to, I guess. And you see some of these digital mortgage brokers that are running TV ads and kind of like pretending like it's all automated. Um, but when people are buying a property or doing a property transaction, they're usually fairly substantial transactions. Um, and people don't mind having to pick up the phone and speak to someone. And in fact, they actually like that you know like it's a it's a it's a big transaction they don't want to just press a button and get an instant mortgage so i think um you know the more personal touch and a bit more sort of human interaction is something that will be there for a long time actually i don't think you you see the end of that yeah well for the majority of the population buying a house is the single biggest purchase that they'll ever make in their life exactly so you're not going to hit a button to borrow two hundred and fifty thousand pounds or something you need your handheld yes so yeah. uh, there has to be human interaction but you know id verification application submissions everything where technology can help all the friction should be yeah yeah automated yeah 100 percent. i'll uh, i'll have to <laughs> i'll have to learn from my own my own speech <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and implement that one yeah, exactly. it sounds good but come I, back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might need some advice on that um okay so let's move into you know one question on the broker market and i think we've touched on some of them um but the brokerage market is is a big part of LendInvest's uh, origination. Yeah. How do you see them changing? What are the challenges within the broker market going forward? Um, obviously, different products we've spoken about, but um, you know, what do you think brokers need to grasp to move forward? That's a good question. Um, I don't know that I'm an expert on this. I mean, I think you're right in terms of the brokerage market is, we have this with this debate internally and, you know, I guess... Um, to pick my audience carefully, but internally we think of the broker as our customer. You know, ultimately it's the borrower, but like, you know, the, the vast majority of our business comes through the broker. So it's like if we don't do a good job for the broker, um, you know, the business can disappear. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, servicing them is 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 the the paramount um, uh, priority. Uh, in terms of the brokerage market evolving, I mean, I think there that I there is a lot of stuff, like you say, with sourcing systems and things like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess as time has gone on, the, the product of a mortgage has become more complicated. 
And so I think, you know, whilst there's a lot more technology, it's kind of like it's 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 more and more complicated. And so I think, you know, sourcing systems and those things play a role, but I still think there is kind of like the human that knows, like you're saying, like the, the finer details of what that lender's criteria is or what they really need. You know, sometimes that's not in a in a system or, or you know, you can't sort of automate that. So um, I think in many respects, it's more of the same, but I think you have to adopt that that sort of consumer experience stuff in terms of you know, people are used to ordering an Uber now and like you, you're using their mobile phone and just like things being easier. So I think passing KYC and some of the simple things that are now sort of part of the, the journey need to be very tech enabled. Do you think, you know, we've been on the same journey, not quite uh, on certain things, but within time frame. Yeah. Do you see a huge difference from... Uh, brokers or advisors from 2008 time, you know, 12 years, <laughs> not just recession time, but to a 2020 advisor. And do you, what do you think? Is there a difference? I think there is. I mean, I don't know if that's kind of like we deal with different brokers now, but I think, I think the market's become a lot more professionalized actually is, is my thing. And I think maybe some of that's the sort of regulatory changes and all this kind of stuff, which everyone thinks is a headache but like you're saying it's kind of like necessary and it's part of just the way the world's moving and so the brokers that have kind of stuck through it um and sort of 2008 say to 10 pretty tough times but if you're a broker that stayed in business and was still in business last year um you know you've probably you've probably done pretty well but you've probably had to evolve the way you do things you know the broker that just flicks you a, a property address and a borrower's name is kind of like probably hasn't survived that well yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd say that if taking the different product lines, we said the mortgages, obviously regulation and technology has, has changed that. But the specialist finance market, the development, the refurb, the commercial market is all, um, I think it's been more accepted. Uh, one, there's been a huge expansion of lenders, new yeah, lenders, yeah. Uh, you know, credit lines, debt platforms. So there's added value that's is coming, uh, mm. uh, coming there to the clients. But... I always look at the um, debt advisory market compared to the US. Right. And I think UK and Europe are way behind, just like we are in the mortgage market, way behind the Australian market. Yeah. And um, even the, the SME market or the larger property people in the US, they have debt advisory firms that they retain, I- employ, because mm. of power of information uh, and structure. And these people are very professional. They're professional outfits. Yeah. They're not one-man bands. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, they've got real structure, proper companies in there. Yeah. And, and I see it. There's been a lot of speak about it in the market and in, in the press recently. Um, and it's not just saying because I own a debt advisory. Yeah. But I see the need growing within that specialist finance sector. Yeah, for it's quite interesting. Professional uh, advisory, UK and Europe. Yeah, uh, and and I think real property people at the minute, yes, their core market could be the UK, but yeah, they might be spreading into the the European market. And I think uh, debt advisors have have got to get up to speed on uh, you know education, professionalism, uh, yeah. the whole. And I've seen a huge shift. Uh, yeah. And it was you know I was in early two thousands probably one of those brokers that would send a name and address and afford an email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now You've I'm had tra- to professionalise. Yeah, yeah, now I'm training my brokers about how to submit cases professionally to lenders, you know, yeah. which which aren't done in a mortgage app- uh, application form way. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've got to follow procedure uh, you, and you've got to lay things out. Uh, you've got to analyse a deal properly, understand yeah. it and show your value to the client. Yeah. And if you do that, you will do extremely well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's right. I, I think like the market has become 
very big, like you say, in terms of number of players. There's some big players. I think, you know, Lendervest is kind of one of the, the bigger players, but we're very institutionalized. So kind of there's requirements that we have. And I think an advisor that is familiar with that adds a lot of value. At the same time, there's a lot of sort of smaller lenders that might be more suitable for a transaction, but you're probably not going to find them on Google and, you know, you, you don't know who they are. It's not just about rate. It's yeah. what we said before. Yeah. It's, it's knowing everything about every lender's product yeah and as an individual how can you do that you know it's a you've got to have the support and the, you know the company structure around you uh, to do the best thing for your client really yeah um okay last couple of questions uh what's your best memory so far best memory so far other professionally than our, I hope. Uh, other <laughs> than our, yeah other than our lunch <laughs> um i don't know i mean that the whole the whole journey has been a good one it's been a long one um, a hard one. I think you know that the the, the, um, the listening of the retail bond was was pretty cool. I think that was kind of like uh, I liked it because you, we got to take a lot of our team as well. So a lot of the company got to go and sort of. Where's the uh, picture? Is it on your mantelpiece? Yeah. <laughs> I've got one at home, one in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Ian's got I can one. still see yeah. it in my head. <laughs> I've got it on my LinkedIn still. Um, yeah, so I think that 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 was definitely a highlight because the moment you share with everyone is kind of. Yeah, look, I'm a. I come from the Gold Coast in Australia. You know, grew up surfing. To be sort of ringing the bell at the London Stock Exchange is kind of like a. It was, it was <laughs> You're good probably fun. wearing the billabongs yeah. underneath your suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what would you know? Everyone learns from their mistakes. But what best? What do you wish you would have known back then? What you know now? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, um, I think in some respects, it's just like. That it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could go back and tell yourself, because you know, there's a lot of anxiety and sort of uncertainty, and kind of as you're building the business, it's like uh, you know, you sort of you 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 bet it's all on black sort of thing. You know, like there's no there's no uh, plan B. And I think through that, if you you sort of um, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. I think if you go back and say, look, don't worry, in ten years it's going to be bloody brilliant. So just crack on i think if you knew that you could have have a different sort of swagger to it or i think uh i, I don't think, know i think some people don't it's such a true point some people you always hit uh, a wall or a barrier when you're building something yeah. in business yeah and sometimes it can end people yeah uh, because yeah it might be just anxiety yeah uh, and it gets into your head and how you finish you know and you might think i can't do it anymore yeah but sometimes you said it will be okay yeah you know, so. if you knew <laughs> that yeah you'd be like you'd be, You'd be sort of, you'd feel like you'd be almost anxiety free. So I think yeah. that, that would be good. Maybe everyone probably wants that. Yes, it's a good tip. All right, Christian. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. I, I want to finish by saying what a journey. Yeah. Uh, I would say from 12 years, there's not many people which have added value into the market. And I'm really passionate about this market, and you've really changed the market. Thank you so, very much. Uh, same say, for you. Yeah. Well, we try our best. Yeah, no, it's Don't cry, Christian. (laughs) (laughs) You got the tissues. (laughs) I'm getting the tissues out (laughs) for Christian. Uh, Really well done. Keep on going. Uh, uh, Please don't leave the industry yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. And I've got to finish off by saying, please rate and subscribe. Yes, we do. This is the the, the podcast to subscribe to. Exactly. Thanks a lot, Christian. Cheers. Cheers.